featuring interviews and commentary from Animal Rights Zone, the online social network for humans who seek justice for other animals. You can find us on the web at www.arzone.net. I'm your host, Carolyn Bailey. Today's episode features our special guest, Bob Linden. He and I will also be joined by ARZone admins Tim Geyer and Ronnie Lee. Bob Linden is the host of Go Vegan Radio, a one-hour talk radio program accessible via download, live stream, and free podcast, as well as weekly on US broadcast radio in Southern California. Bob will be speaking with us today from the world's largest vegan grocery store, Viva La Vegan. Bob is a successful events organizer and promoter of social justice causes. He played a major role in developing and promoting Vegan Earth Day events, San Diego Fall Fest, and World Fest LA, which he also emceed. Bob has been a vegan for almost 30 years. Bob is a New York City native and graduate of Queens College of the City University of New York. Bob, thanks for being with us today. Welcome to AR Zone. Well, thank you, Carolyn. It's a pleasure to be here uh, with you and Tim, and uh, I appreciate the invitation. You're very welcome. Bob, you've been involved in some controversy of late, and we'd certainly like to speak with you about that. But before we do, I'd like to ask about the target audience of Go Vegan Radio. Who is the show trying to reach, and do you think that you do reach those people? Well, uh, Carolyn, I believe that I am trying to reach uh, people who eat, uh, people who wear clothing, people who buy products, people who buy tickets to entertainment events, uh, really, I'm, I'm trying to reach non-vegans. Uh, that's why for the past 11 years, I've been involved with uh, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden on uh, regular commercial radio stations where people aren't Googling the word vegan. Uh, they're getting regular talk shows about Obama or health care or war. And then on comes a vegan radio show uh, to actually connect all of the dots, uh, all, of, all of the complaints in radio about uh, what's wrong with society are answered by my radio program coming on and talking about issues related to war and peace and violence and world hunger and poverty and uh, health and environment, climate change, and of course the suffering of animals, uh, which is the motivation for doing the program because that uh, is what's of most concern to me. So uh, it actually um, gives some credibility to the issues because I mean, when I'm on the street with a megaphone, uh, people say to me, eh, get a job, get a life. But when I talk about these issues on the radio, people say, hey, did you hear what that guy on the radio said? That, that uh, animal agriculture causes 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions, it causes global warming, and, you know, all of those things. So um, it's uh, an attempted outreach to non-vegans and, and my activism uh, is that way also, but uh, for the most part, is, it has been through the mainstream media as the first vegan animal liberation uh, radio program that then gives me a number of other platforms. I, I mean, I was on Air America, which is uh, 26 uh, radio stations. I've been on uh, left-wing, right-wing, uh, middle-of-the-road radio stations, uh, and it also gives me the opportunity to participate in events, to organize uh, festivals and, and uh, different uh, vegan projects. So um, we're reaching a lot of people. We've had about 100,000 downloads of the program uh, over the course of the past year. And then in addition to that, there's the radio listening and the arc uh, and uh, various other platforms uh, that we have right now. We're 
on a couple of radio stations, talk stream live, uh, smartphone applications. Uh, so that puts us in automobiles. So we're just trying to, uh, to reach out who any, to anybody who, who won't turn off the program immediately. <laughs> that's fascinating, Bob. That's a, that's a really large reach. Um, you produced and directed Soul Food for Thought, which is a stage show in San Francisco that was designed as vegan outreach to people of colour. How important to the movement do you think is racial, social and economic diversity? Well, I, I, I think it's really important and, you know, I'm really dedicated to uh, vegan animal liberation activism uh, which would include outreach like that. So um, we, we had this program on, uh, Soul Food for Thought. Um, it was on stage. We had, uh, we had African dance. We had reggae music. We had um, comedy. We had the most amazing presentations from uh, Dr. Antenna Roba, who was from Ethiopia, who visited uh, the, uh, the slave dungeons in Africa and was able to relate them to uh, to the slaughterhouses here. We had Dr. Milton Mills on the program, who talked about the the diet, the average uh, African American diet right now, uh, which he uh, which he considers to be slave food and and plantation food. And we talk about the health of the African American community, uh, the heart disease, cancer, uh, diabetes, uh, even even worse than in other communities. So uh, this was an opportunity to have people. Uh, come out and, uh, uh, and and what was interesting also, Dr. Roba is a an emergency room physician in Houston, so he gets to see the effects of the African American diet here, and then he sees the effects of the African American diet on the environment uh, when he returns to Africa. So uh, it was uh, you know an enlightening evening. Uh, people came and they uh, laughed, danced, uh, sang, cried. And walk away saying, "Wow, you know, I, I I never thought about animals that way," or "Oh, I'm going to have to look at the uh, uh, look at the menu at the uh, daycare center where I work." So so there's that. So that's you know that's one opportunity to to reach out. And I feel we have to be entertaining in our message also. Um, and you know there are opportunities. Uh, Cesar Chavez was, uh, was was a total vegan animal rights uh, advocate. So and and he's a heroic figure here. So uh, I've participated in Cesar Chavez Day, and you know there, there was a, a horrendous campaign uh, that was uh, it was uh, Leche Familia y Amor uh, that was on billboards everywhere. You know, cow's milk, uh, love and family, uh, which uh, really it should have been uh, Leche Enfermedad y Muerte. Uh, you know, milk, disease and death. So the message does have to get out there, and uh, it, 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 it's uh, you know it, it's a challenge because it's so culturally accepted to eat <laughs> you know what's not really food you know uh, decomposing corpses and uh, uh, mammary secretions of other species. I mean we uh, we have to think about that, and uh, we, we do have to reach out to uh, to to all communities, and you know vegan issues are social. Justice issues. There are people being chased off the land in Mexico and South America uh, to graze animals, to, to cut down land, to, to feed animals. So, um, you know, we, we just have to reach out and make the connection to, to other social justice issues for sure. I think. 
I agree with you, Bob. I think it's incredibly important to do that as well. So, yeah, you know, thank you for doing that. Well, I mean, I wish if I wish if our resources could go in that direction. Uh, you know, I'm uh, obviously a, uh, a harsh critic of the Humane Society of the United States, and uh, and and very upset that vegans would support that um, organization because it it takes 120 million dollars a year in donations, uh, none of which goes toward promoting veganism. And I think that's that's uh, what's really important now. And I, I have. So many ideas for, for what could be put into effect in, in promoting veganism. I mean, everything from putting, you know, we, can, we can go around in neighborhoods and, and hang information on doorknobs. We can take megaphones to McDonald's and to schools. I mean, we really need to um, get organized and, and uh, you know, create activism related to vegan animal liberation activities and not support uh, organizations who suck money away from the true cause of animal liberation. Staying on the um, subject of Go Vegan Radio, um, how did Go Vegan Radio come to be set up? How does it operate and what successes has it had? Prior to my devoting my life entirely to uh, uh, vegan animal liberation activism, I actually had a career in radio where I was a, a program director at music stations around the country and uh, worked for some of the larger uh, media organizations. Um, and uh, with uh, media consolidation and deregulation, uh, there didn't seem to be that much need anymore for a creative program director. Uh, things were pretty much handled by consultants. And so I went off on my merry way to uh, animal activism. Uh, which included creating uh, vegan festivals. I did one in San Diego, San Diego Fall Fest, uh, which was really successful. We had many thousands of people there, so we thought, well, let's, let's go to Los Angeles and try to create a vegan festival there, which uh, became World Fest uh, in, uh, in the year 2000. Um, so I went up to uh, L.A. and found, found the park and... Uh, Ordered the porta potties and you know got the insurance and emceed the event and uh, in the course of promoting the event I was going around to various radio stations including KRLA in Los Angeles and a producer there said to me well you you have a background in animal rights and broadcasting uh, shouldn't you be doing an animal rights radio show and uh, I had thought at some point maybe I'd want to do something in video where I would hold up you know, a container of, of cow's milk and say, you know, cow's milk, bad, or and, and here, soy milk, good. Um, but uh, what she said made sense, and she said there was an opening on the weekends there. Of course, they would uh, charge me for the airtime, so uh, they'll give me a few weeks to try to get the money together. So I got on the phone and started calling around for advertising for uh, vegan and cruelty-free products and uh, somehow managed to uh, get myself in enough trouble uh, to, to get the program financed in the beginning. Um, I thought that perhaps the show would last maybe one or two weeks, considering the content of the programming, that I would be uh, insulting most of the other advertisers on the radio stations. Um, I thought once, uh, once management heard the show, once, once the owners of the radio stations heard the show, they would uh, uh, you know, change the locks on the building and not let me back in. Uh, but apparently they, they haven't listened yet after 11 years. So, uh, so I'm still on the air. Every week I am frantically trying to raise money to pay for airtime. 
uh, by soliciting sponsorship uh, and tax-deductible donations. Um, somehow, I don't know how, it manages to stay on the air for 11 years. And uh, the successes are measured in hearing so many people who say that they have gone vegan from listening to the show or they have uh, thought about animals in a different way from listening to the show, or they've gotten active on behalf of animals. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, it, it reaches a lot of people who would never hear about these issues. I mean, you, you would never turn on a, a talk station and hear that animal agriculture causes uh, climate change, you know, or, or you know, or, or, well, I think, you know, every, every problem we have on the planet is related to the consumption of animal animal products, and so uh, people at least need to hear that. They need to know that they don't have to uh, put their child on the road to heart disease, cancer, stroke, and diabetes. It's uh, you know heart disease is is preventable. Uh, it's 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 really very interesting. I I was interviewed on a friend's radio show on KCAA, which now carries my program. Uh, I uh, debated a cattleman uh, a cattle. Uh, yeah, cattlemen on, on that program. And the owner of, of the radio station called in uh, while I was on in a, in a thick Texas drawl. And I thought he was going to say, you know, get that vegan off my show. And instead, he, who was a former cattleman, uh, actually connected to his childhood love for animals, uh, how he was uh, brainwashed by the 4-H club. And he remembered a steer who was being led up uh, into a truck who turned around and looked at him, uh, and uh, he, he, he never really got over that feeling. And then I learned that he also was 327 pounds and uh, was practically on his deathbed. And I, I said to him, you know, Fred, uh, we're going to get you to go on, on a, on, into the vegan lifestyle. Uh, I'm going to uh, ask that you look at the regimen of Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, uh, who, uh, who was uh, Bill Clinton's doctor. And so uh, Fred Lundgren, the owner of that radio station, is now down to about uh, 260 pounds and is more active uh, than he's been. His cholesterol uh, has been lowered. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how I measure the success. Bob, can I jump in and ask a follow-up question about uh, fundraising for a second? Yes. So I'm just... I like to play the devil's advocate, but I'm wondering, you mentioned that you, obviously you have to raise money to produce your show, and so you would expect that the people who donate to your um, cause are people who support what you do. You have to guess that they probably have a good sense of what it is that you do and that they, they think that you're doing the right thing, and so they, they want you to be successful and they're contributing money to you. That That would probably make sense, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you, that doesn't you're sound, not, if that doesn't sound like the devil's advocate, it sounds no. like the <laughs> angel's advocate. Well, well, <laughs> but yes, yes. I'm not, I'm not finished. <laughs> oh, you're not finished? Oh, there's a but, a big but. Okay. <laughs> well, because, because it, seems, it seems to me, and, I, and I, I'm, I, don't, I don't want to talk about the good or the bad that HSUS does, but I just, I just, want, to, I just want to ask, if, if I'm going to give money to HSUS, then... I would think that just like the people that donate money to you, I'm I'm going to donate money to HSUS because I know what they do, or I think I know what they do, and I'm supportive of what they do. So it 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 would seem like that if HSUS changed what they did, that they would have to change their donor base. 
because the people that send the money to them are supportive of what they do as they do it. You, you see you see the point I'm making? In other words, if if I'm going to if I'm going to donate to vegan outreach because I'm supportive of them leafleting on comp- college campuses, then well if they decide that they're not going to do that anymore and they're going to put on you know, I don't know, they're going to change the way they advocate. I may not continue to donate to them because I was supportive of them as college leafletters. So maybe the people that are donating to HSUS, maybe HSUS wouldn't have the money they have if they were doing advocacy in a different way. That's not to say that the advocacy that they're doing is what they ought to be doing, but they're being funded by people who support them right or wrong. Does that make sense? Well, uh, yes. Um, And uh, HSUS has 11 million members. 95% of them eat meat. So um, HSUS uh, can have a pig farmer on its staff. Uh, If Go Vegan Radio said, you know, I I need a a new sales manager and I'm hiring a a pig farmer, um, I I don't know if I can get away with that. Um, HSUS, um, my problem is that it masquerades as, uh, as an animal advocacy organization when, in fact, I believe it is uh, a subsidiary of, uh, of the meat industry and animal exploitation industries. And the policies of HSUS are uh, more geared for uh, meat eaters than vegans. And I think they're uh, actually quite deceptive uh, with their presentation. And that's how they are able to get vegans to donate money. Uh, and and uh, if uh, vegans knew all the facts about uh, HSUS and its policies, I believe that they would uh, would immediately stop stop donating uh, stop donating to uh, uh, what I feel is the infiltration of the animal rights movement by uh, butchers. And uh, sometimes people get upset with me for for calling them butchers. Um, and I, I'm not really really using a derogatory term. I'm referring to them by profession, uh, in the sense that HSUS has a pig farmer, someone who kills 50,000 pigs a year as its director of rural outreach and development. Uh, HSUS is a partner with United Egg Producers in marketing animal products, much to the detriment of chickens. HSUS is a partner with Nebraska Farmers Union to market animal products. Uh, HSUS is a partner with Wolfgang Puck, a serial killer of animals who markets veal. And uh, so um, I, I don't quite think that, I mean, fine, if you, if, if you like veal, uh, you know, and, and the killing of baby cows, donate to HSUS. Wayne Pacelli goes on the Discovery Channel, and the question is, would being vegan help animals? And his response is, no, there's really no need for everyone to go vegetarian. Uh, just you know, buy buy your animal products from somebody who raises animals properly and humanely. So um, people criticize me for criticizing HSUS and saying I'm divisive of the movement, but I'm not in the HSUS movement. HSUS is the same as uh, McDonald's or, or Cargill to me or Tyson Foods. So um, uh, if people want to donate to the meat industry, they can donate to HSUS, but uh, I. Do want people to know uh, where they're donating because many right, but vegans if, but if, are but if, but if but if 95 percent of the people that are donating to HSUS aren't aren't vegan or vegetarian, then 
it it stands to reason that if HSUS adopted a, a, a strictly vegan outlook and a strictly vegan approach to what they were doing, then they then they wouldn't have the money to do the outreach that we would want them to do. That's the only point I'm making. I mean, what, well, well, irrespective of irrespective of, of good or bad that HSUS may be doing, and that and that's you know we that that's that's another so, discussion. So, I'm just so, I'm just so saying that. So that's based. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. So that's uh, to me an example of uh, of finances over morality, um, and that you know I mean HSUS is not an animal advocacy organization, so uh, they don't they don't do uh, the outreach that I would want it to do. This uh, you know this uh, agreement with United Producers is is outrageous. Right. And, that's, uh, that's, but that's not. I understand that. I understand your position on that. I'm just saying that the point that you made earlier was that you you would like to see them use the money that they have to do advocacy different. And I'm just suggesting that they wouldn't have the money that they have if they did advocacy different. That's that's the only point I'm making. I'm just saying right. that. The and I, that they, I, I, right. I don't ex- I don't expect them to start putting animals ahead of money. I don't expect them to take that position. Uh, what I'm really saying is. Vegans should donate to vegan animal liberation outreach, and meat eaters who want to feel good about the meat they're eating uh, can continue to donate to to the butchers of uh, HSUS. Bob, you mentioned earlier that 95% of the people that donate money to HSUS are people that eat other animals. Why do you think those people donate money to HSUS? Uh, well, I mean, HSUS has a, has a number of, uh, uh, <laughs> has, has a, a deceptive approach to its, uh, its marketing. Uh, it, uh, it runs all of those, uh, you know, very sad, uh, puppies and kittens, uh, commercials in the middle of the night when it really doesn't, uh, <laughs> doesn't run shelters and, uh, you know, has actually an irresponsible position on uh, you know, uh, homeless uh, dogs and cats with Wayne Pacelli going on Oprah and saying buy from a responsible breeder, not saying you know, to uh, adopt or spay or neuter. Um, so, uh, you know, HSUS has a good marketing program. I mean, the people who even work for HSUS, I mean, I, you know, I, I started the event World Fest. I'm not involved with it anymore. And sadly to say, HSUS had a booth there this year. And uh, somebody approached me and I said, well, you know, I'm really, you don't really want to talk to me. I'm kind of critical of HSUS. And she said, oh, are you Bob Lyndon? You know, so um, (laughs) so she she knew. And I said, well, you know, let's start off with HSUS has a pig farmer on its payroll. And she didn't even know about it. So, you know, there are a lot of good people who work for HSUS and, and all of these other groups now who have been corrupted uh and uh you know there are good people whose hearts are in the right place but these organizations have uh, have taken on uh, very destructive policies right now so um you know they have a lot of money they can market um you know here they are collecting money you know for michael vick's dogs <laughs> and then they're saying michael vick's dogs can't be rehabilitated uh they should all be killed and then they take $50,000 from the Philadelphia Eagles to rehabilitate Michael Vick's image. So uh, they, they have a, a lot of money for marketing. Uh, they, their marketing PR team uh, is partners with United Egg Producers marketing team. 
and so uh, so you know they have the money to be effective in uh, in getting people to to reach into their pockets and send money. They sent Paul Shapiro to speak at the Animal Rights Conference. Uh, why didn't they send uh, Joe Maxwell, uh, the pig farmer, to speak at the Animal Rights Conference? No, but they send Paul Shapiro there, and, and he can, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, pick the pockets of animal rights advocates by pre pretending to be one of them. I have a question here from our most recent addition to the AR Zone admin team, Billy Lovekey. He would like to ask you which group or individual action you've noticed that's recently done something you felt was effective for other animals. There, there are some groups uh, I, you know, like the advocacy of United Poultry Concerns and uh, certainly its stance against uh, United Egg Producers. I, uh, I do appreciate Tribe of Heart and its efforts uh, with Peaceable Kingdom. Uh, International Fund for Africa and out, its uh, vegan outreach in, in Africa. Uh, Nathan Winograd with his no-kill advocacy. Um, so uh, people along those lines, uh, you know, are are doing uh, good things. Thanks, Bob. Can I just ask how you would measure effectiveness? Um, well, I think that the idea is to is to reach people. Our our arguments are undeniable. Um, it's just that we're suppressed by uh, the media, which is controlled by animal exploitation industries. Uh, I mean, uh, mo most of society and culture are uh, controlled by uh, that which exploits animals. So. Uh, Success to me is, is outreach and, and, and reaching people who then will take action and, and go vegan and, and work on behalf of animals. Um, also, I, I guess I should mention Stop Animal Exploitation Now and its efforts against uh, vivisection. Uh, and then, uh, you know, for, for me, I mean, I, I basically have dedicated my life to trying to reach as many people as possible through uh, through mainstream media. So, uh, you know, I think people uh, really want to be, uh, have concern for animals and their health and the environment. They just don't know that they need to connect it to, uh, uh, to, to being vegan and, and speaking out for animals. I agree with that. Thanks, Bob. Uh, Bob, can you tell us uh, what was it that caused you to become vegan and to campaign for animal protection? Yes, um, like uh, like most people, uh, I ate meat every day of my life growing up. I never imagined myself in the future to call myself vegetarian or vegan. Um, I won a hamburger eating contest when I was 16. I ate 30 White Castle hamburgers, and I, I feel lucky to have uh, survived that. And then when I was uh, finally living on my own in college, when I was going to Queens College in New York City, uh, I had to cook for myself, and um, it, it seemed like I prepared a rather special dish on Friday nights. So all my friends came over. Generally, it was uh, chicken cutlets with an apricot glaze. And um, one day, I, I uh, bought uh, chicken, and uh, the chicken was not uh, the round, nondescript cutlets, the round food item that I thought it was. I, I actually saw the body. I, I connected a body there, and I thought, well, you know, somebody just died 
for me to eat. And somebody suffered great pain. And, you know, while I had believed that the animals probably knew it was their place uh, to jump into a frying pan for my, you know, uh, appetite, um, you know, it, it, it just seemed wrong to me. And I, I realized how much I didn't know about the source of my food. And I, I guess I can use growing up in New York City as an excuse. Uh, food came from the grocery store. Salami could have grown on a salami tree. Uh, peas grew in a can. I, I really didn't think much about food. And I, you know, I was eating hamburger all the time and never really, never related to the cow. In my fifth grade class, Mrs. Steckler said, Oh, the people in India are, 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 are so crazy. I mean, there are people starving there and there are cows walking around everywhere. Why aren't they eating them? And I'm thinking, yeah, those people in India are crazy, you know, but, but I much, I, I, I wouldn't eat a cow or a person walking around in India now. When you really think it through, uh, our diet is absurd. I, I, you know, the, the idea of eating decomposing corpse is, is really so repulsive. Um, so, that got me started, but I really didn't know what I was doing because I was the first vegetarian I had ever met. I didn't know anybody else. And I, so I, at first I thought, oh, well, maybe the oceans are here to feed us. I, I guess I could eat what I call seafood. Um, and then I thought, well, no, I mean, fish are gasping for their breath. They're jumping around. You know, I mean, I, I can't continue to eat them. And I thought, okay, well, I guess I can eat eggs. Nobody gets hurt eating eggs. I guess I can drink cow's milk. Nobody gets hurt you know, drinking cow's milk. And, you know, it was uh, Cesar Chavez, the great vegan activist, who said, if you're doing it for compassionate reasons, you know, you should give up dairy and, and eggs first, really. I mean, really, when you find out about uh, the horrendous cruelty there. So, um, and I found out about that, um, you know, when I decided I was going to do a benefit at one of my radio stations for an animal rights organization, and I learned about the horrors of dairy and egg production, and uh, I had to stop consuming them immediately because I, I was doing this for compassionate reasons. When I first started this, my, I, I, was, I was engaged to a butcher's daughter, uh, and uh, my future ex-mother-in-law was yelling at me, oh, you're going to die if you eat like that. Are you crazy? You know, and uh, that really wasn't a consideration. Uh, if it uh, were detrimental to my health, um, that didn't matter. I, I couldn't participate in the violence and killing of animals anymore. Yeah, f uh, thanks, Bob. Yeah, my my my, um, my mother said I'd be dead within a year when I told her oh. I was uh, becoming vegan. So that that year has lasted uh, has actually lasted for forty. But but you've been a vegan almost thirty years, haven't you? Yes, and twenty eight uh, years. Oh, yes. 28 years. I mean, that's, you know, that's longer, I think, than probably uh, most of the vegans that will be listening to this. Um, what, what, what are some of the biggest changes that you've seen since then? And, 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 and how difficult was it at the time to become vegan all those years ago? Well, all those years ago, um, the, I, when I found out that there was something called tofu, that was like my greatest celebration. It was amazing. There's something called tofu. There was, uh, there was a, an alternative cheese called soy maj that was, I think, maybe the worst thing I ever tasted. And I, 
you know, I tried that, and every six every six months I would go back to that and think, well, did they improve it? No, not really. Um, and so, in 28 years, what has happened is. I am now talking to you from the world's largest vegan grocery store, Viva La Vegan, in Rancho Cucamonga, California. There are 6,000 items in this store, 6,000 vegan items, uh, and uh, uh, it, it's amazing to me. I, I don't have to hold my nose as I have to do in just about every other grocery store. I don't have to take out my magnifying glass and read all the ingredients, and uh, for people who want to make a transition... Uh, with the comfort foods, you know, with which they are accustomed, there is a delicious vegan alternative, a vegan meat, a vegan ice cream, you know, hot dogs and burgers and yogurt and uh, just everything is available right now and, uh, and delicious. So it's, it's a totally different world. And I think people can go vegan immediately right now and, uh, and, and not, not miss uh, any of uh, you know any of the animal products. Also, back then, nobody knew what the word vegan was. Uh, it was uh, vegan and vegan, and uh, you know, so so nobody really knew the word vegan. Now uh, uh, we saw the word vegan in a Jack in the Box hamburger commercial. There was uh, uh, they had a, a, a make believe football game between the uh, Jack in the Box carnivores and the L.A. vegans, um, which of course uh, Jack in the Box. Uh, uh, finance the commercial, so the L.A. Carnivores won the commer- won, won the football game. Uh, but uh, people should note that they did so by cheating, uh, which is, of course, what uh, meat eaters would do. And uh, even uh, Burger King or Murder King or Burger King uh, had a, a billboard up uh, with a big picture of one of its new sandwiches, and it said, "You know, just as you thought you were going vegan, you know, as if to tempt people." With, with its new dead flesh sandwich. So, um, and veganism, we're up to 7.5 million vegans in the U.S. right now. That number doubled in the last uh, two years. So I'd like to see that number double and quadruple and quintuple and whatever the, the Latin multiplications would be. As we've already touched on a little bit today, you've been quite vocal in your opposition to the recent deal between the Humane Society of the United States and United Egg Producers in the US. For the benefit of those who might not be familiar with this agreement, could you please explain briefly what you believe it entails and why you're so opposed to the agreement? Yes, uh, definitely. And, uh, you know, I invite people also to go to uh, to my Facebook Facebook page, Bob Linden, um, where I, I have a lot of postings, including uh, presentations by United Egg Producer officials and uh, uh, various uh, uh, various videos that you, you can find on YouTube. Um, so the uh, the CEO of United Egg Producers, Gene Gregory. Uh, said that uh, the egg producers in this country were actually a bit off balance with uh, all of the state initiatives and and Prop 2 and uh, uh, perhaps different requirements happening in different states. And uh, um, so uh, it was uh, it was a little concerned about its its future and its profitability. I I wasn't even uh, aware that uh, it, it felt that it was on the on the defensive and, and on the run until I heard this presentation by uh, Jean Gregory. 
And uh, so out of desperation, apparently he reached out to the uh, Humane Society of the United States and its CEO, Wayne Pacelli. Gregory says that it sent Wayne Pacelli to Europe to look at the uh, enriched cages uh, that were uh, to be used in, in Europe. Uh, these uh, enriched, so-called enriched cages, uh, condemned as unacceptably cruel on the HSUS website, uh, on the Farm Sanctuary website, uh, unacceptably cruel. These are concentration camp conditions. These are battery cages uh, with an excuse that they're enriched by uh, shoving a stick in the cage and calling it a perch and maybe uh, some plastic strips and throwing some sand in and, you know, calling it a, a sandbox. Uh, so uh, these, these cages are condemned as cruel. Uh, Wayne Pacelli went to Europe and came back and surprised United Egg Producers by saying he liked the cages, um, which uh, sent shockwaves through United Egg Producers, uh, which says that it set the agenda for HSUS. With this, with this bill, and uh, uh, entered into an agreement that uh, would uh, assure the profitability and the, the production of eggs. Uh, uh, thanks to HSUS, uh, Gene Gregory um, said that uh, HSUS promised that there would be no more um, video uh, investigations revealed, no more lawsuits against UEP members, um, and uh, uh, the, the cages do remain cruel. Uh, Gene Gregory says uh, Wayne Pacelli's people got on the phone with all the major, all the other major animal activist organizations and told them to leave the egg industry alone and to, uh, to support this uh, legislation. United Egg Producers accounts for close to 90% of egg production in this country. This is the organization uh, that uh, nobody massacres more animals than United Egg Producers. I mean, uh, this is something involving the fate of millions of, and billions of animals over time. Now, HSUS agrees to condemn chickens, to condemn mutilated um, death row chickens to harsh concentration camp conditions forever. This bill even has a provision that no state or municipality can ever legislate better conditions for chickens ever. No more space, no more cage-free, no nothing. How can animal organizations agree to something that condemns chickens to to horrible conditions forever with no chance of escape. This bill was introduced in the U.S. Senate by Diane Feinstein, who is no friend to animals. She introduced the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. And uh, Wayne Pacelli's, uh, uh, you know, group of, of groupy groups just fell in line inexplicably. This is, this is uh, indefensible that uh, we would have farm sanctuary, Mercy for animals, compassion over killing, indefensive animals, uh, the ASPCA, uh, Animal Legal Defense Fund, and Farm, all now uh, supporting, uh, you know, 
endorsing cruelty that, that basically now um, really excludes them from being called animal rights organizations anymore. This is, uh, this is the, the greatest outrage and betrayal I have ever seen. Uh, this is the greatest betrayal that could ever happen, um, you know, to the, to the animal rights movement and, and to animals, because we're talking about, um, this is, you know, out, out of the 10 billion land animals killed in this country every year in the U.S., 9 billion are chickens. And uh, so the greatest betrayal of animals uh, has, has recently happened, and uh, I'm, I'm in shock. The animal rights movement has been infiltrated by the meat industry. Bob, I believe there was a position statement of HSUS on these enhanced battery cages that was signed by about 10 animal protection organisations and I believe it was signed not that long prior to the announcement taking place. Could you speak a little bit about that position statement and why these organisations all had such a turnaround in, in their thoughts on it? This is, and this is a complete turnaround. HSUS had it on its website. Farm Sanctuary had it on its website. Enriched cages are unacceptably cruel and do not provide proper welfare uh, for chickens. Uh, we are guaranteeing chickens devastating psychological and physical problems by endorsing these cages. I have heard animal activists say that now chickens can engage in natural behaviors. They are indoors, piled high in battery cages. They'll never feel sunlight. They'll never feel the earth beneath their feet. Uh, how can we say they will engage in natural behaviors and deceive the public this way and put the animal rights stamp of approval on such products? And people have been attacking me for being divisive. Uh, people like Matt Rice from uh, Mercy for Animals, who uh, has argued uh, that uh, Mercy for Animals uh, maintains that it still supports abolition. Mercy for Animals is for abolition. But then I have to say to Mercy for Animals, it's great that you say that, but your actions in supporting this legislation prevents abolition forever. So uh, I, I don't really understand that. And then uh, I am attacked uh, again uh, with another flimsy uh, defense of uh, their position. Uh, Matt Rice says to me, Bob Linden, you are on the side of the pork industry. Do you realize the beef industry and the dairy industry, they all oppose this legislation? Uh, to which I reply, yes, but it is the egg industry that supports and proposes this legislation. Chickens don't have to worry about the pork industry. It's the egg industry. All of this is indefensible. Farm has turned around its position on this uh, with, I mean... Uh, they're, they're groping for excuses. I really, I don't understand what happened. I don't understand how supposed animal advocates can now endorse cruelty. They know it's cruel. So then it makes one suspicious of financial arrangements. I mean, what can this be? We see advertisements now with the logo of HSUS and United Egg Producers on the same ad uh, saying that... Uh, now uh, we have assured the profitability of the egg industry. Is that the job of animal rights activists? How has this happened? I'm, you know, I'm in a state of shock. That's why I traveled 3,000 miles to the animal rights conference to protest the animal rights conference. I never imagined myself doing that. 
and I uh, handed out uh, quite the uh, incendiary incendiary flyer. Um, you know, Alex Hershaft and Farm. Uh, they they wanted to have me ejected. They called security. They called police. Um, but uh, you know, I I stayed. I I objected to their uh, having HSUS, not an animal rights organization, uh, be keynote speakers at an animal rights supposed so-called animal rights conference. Paul Shapiro speaking on the future of animal rights. What an insult to all animal rights and animal liberation advocates. Uh, that's, uh, it's pretty much as absurd as it gets. And that's why I feel like we need to take back the animal rights movement and dedicate ourselves to vegan animal liberation activism. Bob, in regard to this year's animal rights conference, can you explain what you think is, was different? about the conference this year as opposed to, to other years. As far as I'm aware, most of the speakers and most of the organisations represented were pretty much the same as in, as in the, the other years gone by. Uh, yes, uh, except uh, again, this year we had uh, HSUS in prominent uh, speaking engagements, inclu including uh, Bruce, uh, oh, and also uh, Bruce Friedrich of, of Farm Sanctuary, uh, Nick Cooney of Farm Sanctuary, who, uh, by the way, uh, next week on my program, I'm going to have Karen Davis of United Poultry Concerns. Uh, she felt that uh, Nick Cooney misrepresented the position of United Poultry Concerns and, and, and her viewpoint. Um, there's what, What's very disappointing is that deception is being used by these groups whom uh, we used to think the animals could trust. Uh, now that we know the animals can't trust them, uh, we can't trust them either because we're hearing such such ridiculous claims. I mean, uh, Bruce Friedrich uh, claiming that chickens will have a hundred times the space. I mean, that's that's incredible. And uh, also hearing on your podcast, uh, you know, related to. Bruce Friedrich last year at the Animal Rights Conference showing the astronomer's vision related to what is considered to be abolition and welfare, although I don't like to use the word welfare uh, because it implies you know, something well happening, somebody faring well. And so I think that's an overstatement, an over-exaggeration of any positive nature, uh, welfare. Um, but there seems to be there seem to be stronger lines being drawn between abolition and welfare. Uh, there was uh, to be a, a breakaway conference there, in a, a meeting of tribe of heart, uh, trying to talk about these issues. And farm uh, shut down that uh, those, those meetings. Uh, so it seems like there's a bit of uh, yeah, I think there's a bit of censorship that goes on. Uh, my talk last year at the Animal Rights Conference was officially condemned uh, because I, I harshly criticized HSUS in my talk. And uh, Alex Hershaft said uh, uh, that's against policy to uh, criticize uh, other animal rights organizations. And, and of course, well, I, I don't recognize HSUS as an animal rights organization. I, I recognize it as the meat industry. Um, so uh, there was a lot more tension in the air, a lot more people who feel that uh, there's the need for another kind of conference that really um, is uh, is based in concern for animals because this conference was basically overrun by those who are supporting uh, the uh, the egg industry legislation. This conference 
was being run uh, by egg industry allies. Uh, so this was an infiltrated conference. And uh, of course, there are a lot, you know, again, a lot of good hearted people who do a lot of great work. And, you know, so many people will be inspired by their meetings with others there. But uh, but for the most part, um, it's uh, it, it's getting rotten to the core when the uh, when the organizer of an animal rights conference can't differentiate animal killers from animal protectors. Uh, this movement is in serious trouble. Bob, you mentioned a little while ago about the cage sizes. Can you do you have the figures for the difference? per bird between a barren battery cage and an enriched battery cage? Oh, yes. And again, the, um, the deceptive advertising, how, uh, you know, they, they have all been saying, um, they've all been saying, we need to ban barren battery cages, right? So, so you know, who could be against that? Uh, but then you realize their, their deception when they're not really talking about banning battery cages. They're talking about banning the barrenness mm -hmm. of the cages. So there's still battery cages. Mm -hmm. uh, birds are still crammed into those cages. They're still indoors. They're still stacked high to the ceilings. Uh, but now they're not barren because they have a stick you know, that's a perch that also is uh, insufficient. Uh, you know, really can't even be at the right height uh, for for chickens, and uh, you know, again, they, they 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 have the sand and all of that. And uh, how, this how really many is, chickens? How many chickens will be in in that cage with that one? Well, it it, it it will be it will be uh, sixty to ninety birds. You know, this is this is really a, a, a an egg carton labeling uh, bill. Uh, basically, it says you know that free range chickens are. Uh, chickens who are, you know, during egg production, not in cages and have access to the outdoors. Uh, well, not in cages can mean, you know, a shed, uh, you know, a barn that's a cage with tens of thousands of other birds that might as well be a cage. Um, and then you have uh, the cage free. And again, the chickens are not in cages uh, in that labeling. Uh, then you have the enriched, uh, meaning uh, defined as containing adequate environmental enrichments, which I don't think are defined yet. Everything, you know, with all of these, these bills, things become so, so vague. You know, what, what are the penalties? Um, and and the, the Secretary of Agriculture is, is supposed to examine this in, in six years, and then again in 12 years. I mean, wh what are we doing here? So you have the enriched cages, which are supposed to eventually get to uh, uh, 116 inches uh, it says 160. Well, there are phase-in periods, uh, actually. Um, uh, originally outlined as 116 inches for a brown bird, 101 square inches for a white bird. Uh, and also, uh, egg cartons can be labeled caged, uh, which would mean not adequate enrichments and less than 116 inches uh, per brown bird and 101 inches uh, per white bird. Now, my understanding is, is that in four years, uh, it's kind of a phase-in period, so in four years to 15 years, uh, we start off with 76 inches for a brown hen and 67 inches for a white hen. I mean, look, I mean, that, that, it's, uh, it's minuscule space that's provided uh, you know, I mean, that's, uh, what is 76 inches. So what, uh, 
seven uh, seven inches by ten inches. I mean, you know. Then in fifteen years, it says uh, one hundred and forty-four inches uh, for a brown bird and one hundred twenty-four for a, a white bird. That's as big as it gets. So it's basically you know the size of a record album for for a brown bird and less than that uh, for a white bird. And uh, again. What is so troubling is uh, the element of this, the prohibition against additional or different requirements than the federal requirements uh, related to the minimum space allotment and, uh, and housing. No changes can ever be made. No improvements can ever be made by any municipality or any state. How can any animal rights advocate support that? That in itself is a reason uh, to, to reject this nonsense. And then the problem is uh, we, we give people an excuse to continue eating animal products. So instead of going vegan, uh, uh, we eat the, the proper eggs from the enriched colony housing. I mean, that's even though those are concentration camps, the words sound nice. Enriched colony housing, I'm ready to move into that, you know. So, uh, so instead of going vegan... Just to put those sizes in perspective, the information I have is that a hen needs 290 square inches to flap her wings. So what you're suggesting is that in these so-called enriched battery cages that hopefully may in sometime in the next 18 years start being effective, that she's, these hens are still not going to have enough room to, to stretch their wings ever? No, no. They, they can't stretch their wings. They, they can't get proper exercise. Um, you know, I, I had Karen Davis on my show last week. I mean, hens in, in cages, uh, they, they, they become hopeless. They become paralyzed. Uh, it's, it's, just, uh, it, it's just so incredibly sad. And you know what was strange with Proposition 2 uh, as it was being sold to the public here? And again... Uh, collecting 700,000 signatures for Proposition 2, which was called the Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty Act. And yet those signature gatherers were pro prohibited by HSUS from ever mentioning anything about veganism. So he here you have the Prevention of Farm Animal Cruelty Act, and you can't even mention what actually would prevent farm animal cruelty. So instead, they, they think that, and, and, and we were confused in California. What did Prop 2 actually mean? Uh, Wayne Pacelli was going around saying it meant cage-free. Paul Shapiro was telling me it meant 12 inches by 12 inches. Um, it, it was marketed as, uh, well, a, a bird can, can spread her wings so that she doesn't touch another bird or, uh, or the side of uh, an enclosure. Well, it came out to me that it actually meant uh, only one bird at a time could do that. So um, what were they going to do? Take numbers or, you know, I mean... It's uh, no. So uh, and, and also I have sent around on my Facebook page and people can Google. Uh, there was a report on a New Zealand uh, TV station about enriched cages. You know, just Google NZ enriched cages and uh, you, you can see the reality. The egg producers don't let anybody in to see them because they're horrible. They're horrible. And, and people need to see that they are concentration camps. Um, and and uh, they're unacceptably cruel, uh, as noted by the groups who now support them. Well, you mentioned Bruce Friedrich's AR Zone podcast. Um, he actually said that in his 
his podcast, he said that they're certainly not humane. He said they're, they're less bad, but he would certainly not call them humane. But then we've got other people saying this is a statement, I believe, from HSUS at the time that the, that the deal was, was kind of brokered, um, saying we're heralding this as historic and significant progress in America's evolution toward better, better animal treatment. Um, because the because the birds will have psychological and physical problems. I mean, what what? How does this herald any improvement for the birds? Uh, HSUS, in its own words, says it wouldn't. Um, and also, if if uh, one looks at that news report from the New Zealand egg cage, you know, because people always say to me, "Oh, Bobby, if you were in a cage, you know, you would want one more inch of space, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd want." You know, and it turned out in this report that with the enrichment and all the little floppy doors. I mean, they, the enrichments were actually taking up some more space in the yes. cage to where the hens were piling up on each other on, on the other side. Yes. So um, I don't really know. What does this herald? I, I don't really know what benefit this is for the animals. Uh, I mean, I, I, that's why we're, we're dumbfounded, you know, and, and can't understand why would all the other groups go for it? What, what convinced them? Uh, and, and I keep asking them. That's the question that they will never answer. That, okay, you used to say these cages were cruel. When did that change to this becoming heralding a new day for animals? What, was it the day that HSUS called you to say so? Or did you get some new scientific evidence? I mean, uh, we're dealing borderline insanity here, to tell you the truth. I mean... Somebody please bring some sanity to this discussion. Do you think um, there's much truth to the story that industry were already moving toward the enriched colony cages, or, sorry, enriched battery cages anyway, and the HSUS were being left behind? Well, yes, this is what the egg industry wants. This is the egg industry's bill. It wrote this bill. This is what it wants. It allows itself uh, to... Uh, to be assured of, of profitability and egg production. Gene Gregory said, we set the agenda. This, this isn't HSUS or this isn't animal rights people. Bob, Bob, saying, when, Bob when you yeah. say it, it assures them of profitability, what, what evidence is there that the egg industry is in any danger of losing its profitability now? Well, uh, at the beginning of his discussion on the uh, poultry cast, uh, he was saying that he was a bit concerned about these state initiatives, that some states might have different requirements. And so, you know, in one state it might be 112 inches, in another state it might be 200 inches. And so um, they actually felt that they were on the run a little bit uh, with, with uh, you know, and then... Um, you know, along came HSUS to actually save it. I mean, he says but it. Who, who was, who was when, when, you, when you refer to state initiatives that the, that the uh, UEP is supposedly concerned about, who, who initiates those initiatives? Who, who's responsible um, for those initiatives? Well, it uh, it uh, would have been, we thought, HSUS and uh, animal, uh, animal uh, organizations. So... Uh, HSUS had initiated some of those, including one in Washington State where uh, they were uh, collecting signatures while HSUS was making the secret deal with uh, United Egg Producers. But it's very clearly stated by, by Gene Gregory that uh, he was concerned about these initiatives and they had to do something, so they reached out to HSUS, and lo and behold, HSUS 
and uh, its uh, its group of groupies have uh, reached out to, to save the egg industry. But it's HSUS that was that was spearheading all of the initiatives that the that the UEP was concerned about. Yes. Right. So so. HSUS is bringing initiatives on a state-by-state basis. The egg industry realizes that this is costing them a lot of money, and it's a problem. And so what they say is, the way that I understand it, let's stop this state-by-state fight that's costing us both a lot of money. We can see their handwriting on the wall that these sorts of initiatives are going to win the day. Let's agree to have a national plan so that we can stop fighting these battles. Let's stop the turf war, since... We know it's going to happen. Let's get a national standard in place, and we can we can use our resources to do something else. So it, it seems to I mean there's there's two ways to look at this. It seems to me, one way to look at it is the way that you're looking at it. Another way to look at it would be to say, the egg industry realizes that that they're going to have to do something, and it's in their best interest to say we'll we'll go with a national standard so that we can so that we can have some. Um, uniformity throughout the nation as to what is required and what isn't required. I mean, the way I understand it, one of the problems in California was is that the egg producers said, well, you've passed this legislation in California mandating some sorts of changes in the cage sizes, and we'll just import our eggs from across state lines. And that way, we can circumvent the changes that are made in California. So part of part of this initiative, the way that I understand it, trying to be charitable to HSUS, is that it's a way to eliminate that sort of um, state by state piecemeal uh, approach that's well, uh, uh, that, that's uh, consuming a lot of resources that they can use to do other uh, things. Apparently, if HSUS were really concerned about animals, it would have continued. Those state initiatives. Now, uh, my you, you say that I you Why? say that I have a, a certain. Well, Why would they do that? Because of what? Because of what the United Egg Producers CEO has has stated. You, I, I'm I'm not stating my position. You're saying that I have a certain way of, of looking at things. I'm quoting the. Uh, well, you CEO have me as a, of you have United me at a, you have me at a disadvantage because I don't I don't have the resources in front of me that you're quoting from. So I. I I'm not saying that you're misrepresenting what anyone has said. I'm just saying I don't have those resources. But I don't understand why is it. If you had the resources, and when you listen to to his uh, presentation on PoultryCast, I'm sure you can find it on my Facebook page or wherever, Gene Gregory is saying the, the egg industry was a bit on the run and off balance and needed to do something. So he called Wayne Pacelli, sent him to Europe, to look at these uh, these enriched cages, Wayne Pacelli came back and said he liked them to the surprise and delight of the egg industry, and that's where the marriage began. Uh, you can also I, look I at the. I understand that. I just don't understand. I just don't understand why why that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, if HSUS was was conducting state by state initiatives, and I don't know because I haven't looked into it, but I'm 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 going I'm going to think that it's probably safe to assume that those initiatives would have advanced a similar program in every state that they went in. I mean, you'd think that that w- if they were successful in California, that they would try to duplicate that success and have a and have a strategy that and a and an outcome that would be similar to that. So if they were if they were after the same thing in Iowa as they got in California, and then they were going to try to do it in Michigan, they were going to try to do it somewhere else. If they can get 
a compromise where maybe they don't get everything that they want, but they get a national plan in place that regulates the industry across the nation, then as a as part of a strategy and a long-term strategy to make changes, why is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, um, the various initiatives um, had different provisions. So in one state, it might be, oh, a, a hen has to have 116 inches, and in another state, 210 uh, inches. So it creates a, a confused patchwork, and you know, eggs have to uh, you know, go over state lines in, in, uh, in the commerce of the egg industry. But why would we agree on a national standard that is so horrible for chickens? Why, you know, that, that's... Well, what wouldn't be horrible for chickens, Bob? What wouldn't be horrible for chickens? Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, you know, what wouldn't be horrible for chickens, uh, well, I don't really uh, think anybody should be eating chickens, so, you know, it's hard for me to say. But uh, obviously, right. uh, you know, if, if one were looking at uh, comparisons, being in stuffed in a battery cage... Uh, indoors, the way I mean, look at look at what HSUS says about these cages, how awful they are, and then but that, why but what would I'm asking they is, agree what, what, what I'm asking is 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 the is the problem that you see that the that the that they made the agreement or that they made a bad agreement? In other words, are are you suggesting that if they had negotiated for, I don't know, some some other type of uh, uh, system of of confining chickens that 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 wouldn't have been so objectionable. It's because it's because what they've agreed to well, is is not is not good enough. Well, I, I I find it all objectionable because I I, I have no faith in uh, the implementation of uh, of these uh, you know these uh, these delusions that we have. You know, I mean. Uh, HSUS was very willing to prop, drop Prop Two uh, in, in favor of, uh, of new legislation, but Did you uh, certainly, two? certainly, when you have somebody, I'll, I'll go from you know the perspective of Gene Gregory, who said, "Wow, well, if, if we were required to have 216 inches per bird, uh, that could put us out of business." So, okay, I'll go with the uh, 216 inches per bird. The, the point here is that. The egg industry set its agenda, its awful agenda, the agenda that was unacceptable to HSUS, and HSUS has accepted this cruelty. I don't, I don't understand, you know, how we can justify something that everybody knows is terrible and, and call it a victory when this is at the request of the egg industry. This is egg industry written legislation. Well, so, uh, well, how much well, of a donation? I mean, okay. Well, it, 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 it ought to be said that what you keep saying, egg industry, it's important to note that, that, that the UEP is a, is, a, is a trade group that represents individual growers, individual farmers. 90%. Individual, right, 90%. But they, but, right, but they represent those people. They, they don't actually, they don't, UEP doesn't actually produce anything. They're a trade industry group. So to speak about what the industry is doing as, as if the UEP is the industry is, is, not, is not quite correct. They're not the industry. They're just a group that represents the industry. And the individual farmers who are the ones that are going to have to saddle the cost of these changes if and when they ever get put in, th those individual farmers may have uh, 
interests that are different from or in conflict with what with what the UEP uh, has. So um, it, it's important to note that it, it's not as simple as saying that this is an industry that has that has made some concession to or made some agreement with the uh, HSUS. It's a trade group, but. Uh, the, the point that I'm trying to yeah, and it's a, what it's a trade group that represents ninety percent of egg producers, right? Yes, right. Agreed. Yes. But what all I'm trying to get clear on is is that I, I'm not I'm I'm not sure I understand if you're objecting to the idea that they made an agreement, or if you're objecting to the terms of the agreement. That's what I'm not clear about. Is it the fact that the HSUS negotiated with the UEP to come up with a nationwide plan that they can implement or is it or is it the fact that the plan itself is a bad plan I'm, that's all I'm, um, I'm not clear as to what your objection is well um, I, I don't really know who elected uh, HSUS to, to represent animals uh, who, who made Wayne Pacelli King I don't think they should be making any arrangements with uh, with industry and partnering with industry and creating such de so no, deception so, okay, so and, then and, putting, and putting a humane stamp of approval. So right, I so am against any agreement, and I am a, against a horrible agreement. Okay, but what you're saying, but but primarily what you're saying is, is that any agreement that HSUS entered into would be a bad agreement in, in, in your opinion because you don't think that they're the people that ought to be doing this in the first place. They, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't be representing animals because they represent... Uh, the meat industry. They are the meat industry. So uh, HSUS is the uh, the uh, animal advocacy voice appointed by the meat industry. Right. So it wouldn't it wouldn't matter to you what the agreement was. Any agreement that HSUS uh, entered into would be a bad agreement for the reasons that you've stated. Yes. Okay. Who's gonna who's who is going to implement it? I heard Bruce Friedrich on your podcast saying. Uh, that animal animal groups are going to participate in enforcement. Do, do, do you remember hearing that? I mean, it's, uh... I, I remember hearing that. I don't think Tim wasn't actually in Bruce's podcast, but yeah, I think he was asked um, who is going to enforce it. It's going to be more species that are going to be enforcing it anyway. Right, and I think right. that was in particular regard to the um, to force malting. Was it? I, I mean, I don't know. I, this is the first I'm hearing about any animal group, uh, you know, being a part of enforcement in California with Prop Two. Uh, was the state going to hire an army of uh, chicken welfare inspectors with uh, with rulers and tape measures to go around and see, you know, oh, no, you, you only have eight and a half by 11, not 12 by 12? Bob, would there be any point in people getting involved with HSUS, Farm Sanctuary and similar organizations in order to change them? Or do you think that would be a waste of time? Uh, at this point, I, I really think it's a, it's a waste of time. Um, uh, they tend to uh, gobble up good activists and make them ineffective. And the priority seems to be money. I guess maybe when you have to reach a, a high payroll, uh, money becomes the, the prime concern. So uh, I, I think that we really have to redirect ourselves away from them. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, this is really a defining moment right now that uh, that these groups whom we trusted, uh, you know, would uh, would betray animals in, in such a way that we we have to uh, have a new beginning. We have to redefine what we're doing. Uh, what, what a waste of time to promote uh, concentration camps for, for chickens forever. 
I mean, that, that seems like a horrible animal rights campaign. And if that's what they think is proper, uh, you know, we, we kind of need to leave them in the dust. I, you know, I mean, right now at this point, I, I, I look at Farm Sanctuary and, you know, I think, oh, well, you know, maybe a couple of hundred animals are saved. And you see the, the chicken uh, walking around freely at, at Farm Sanctuary. But right now, it seems to me like the, the chickens there are just props for, for making more money because, if those chickens weren't lucky enough to be at Farm Sanctuary, Farm Sanctuary says, put them in a battery cage forever. So uh, I, I, I don't really see much, much hope for them at the moment. Do you think the motivation um, of, of these people is, is purely financial? Or, or do you think there's a, a, an aspect of them believing that it's, it's not possible to, to turn everyone vegan, so therefore they've decided to go for, for what they might consider to be the next best option, which is just improving or, <laughs> or, or in their own minds, trying to improve the conditions of animal exploitation. Uh, if, if only the conditions were improved, right? So they, so they yeah. have to delude themselves also, you know, I mean, it's, uh, uh, so uh, we can't get everyone to go vegan. So the next option is uh, in, endorsed permanent cruelty. Uh, that, that really doesn't make sense to me. And why, why are vegans the ones who think that, uh, you know, encouraging others to be vegan, why are we the ones who, who think it's the hardest thing to do? I mean, we're vegan. We, we need to plant the seeds. Um, and look at the resources. Look at the $120 million a year. Give me that for one year or give me 10% of that. And, and the world will go vegan. I think we have a rather condescending attitude if we don't, don't think others will go vegan if we uh, put the information in front of them. Uh, and, uh, and who are we to de deprive people of the information that would save their children and the planet? You know, so I, I think that this attitude, you know, it, it, you know is, is being foisted by, by these groups that, oh, it's, it's too hard to get people to go vegan so we'll do the next best thing and, uh, you know, endorse cruelty forever and put the animal rights stamp of approval on it. Um, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, we should uh, really Bob, can I ask put you a all of our energy to going vegan, certainly. Why do you keep saying forever? Why, why do you keep saying that? I'm that, sorry? That's one, of the pro that's, that's one of the provisions of this bill, is that these horrible conditions can never be changed by legislation by any state or municipality. This, right, because, this because, it's, because it's a uniform federal legislation. I mean, by, by its nature, it's, it's, it's designed to be a uniform nationwide legislation, which means that it can be changed at any time as long as it's changed at the level that the legislation was written, which is nationally. It, all it does is all it does is create a national standard. All this, all this I mean, unless, unless you're, and and it's a perfectly, you know, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly willing to agree that a person can take the position of being opposed to, say, Prop Two in California. I mean, I think they're, I I wouldn't be myself, but I can see that people would think that it's good to be opposed to Prop Two in California. But unless you are opposed to Prop Two in California on on some, um. 
you know, ethical or, or moral grounds, then I don't see any reason why anybody should be opposed to this. All they're doing is doing the same thing that was done in California. They're just doing it on a nationwide scale. This can be changed. There's, no, there's nothing to prevent this, this from being changed. It doesn't, it, it doesn't even go into effect, really, for, for 18 years. So what? So this can be changed? So what? So what? What, what difference so, does it so make? What, about, what difference well, does it make when it goes into effect? If it's, if, if it's a bill that doesn't do anything, what difference does it make when it goes into effect? I mean, it, it can't be. It can't be both. It either either the either the legislation is bad on its face, and 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 it should be opposed because it 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 creates a situation that's desperately bad for chickens, where the alternative would be better, or it's bad procedurally because somehow it prevents something better from happening. I don't see how it can be either one of those two things. I mean, you're not suggesting that there was some. Th there's nothing on the table that as an alternative to this that would have made the conditions that chickens live under any better, is there? Well, there could have been initiatives to uh, give them more room than the measly space that they have now. Right, but I'm asking, uh, so, I ask you, Bob, who would make those initiatives come to pass? Who's been doing those initiatives for the last however long and such initiatives have been around, who's been the one that's spearheading and funding those initiatives in the United States? So it was, yeah, it was, it was HSUS. Okay, so HSUS could have continued on the path that they were trying to get initiatives, and as I understand it, they had initiatives coming in the next short period of time, a year or two, that was going to be in another, I think, five or six states. But they made the decision tactically that it's better to have a nationwide standard than to continue doing that. So it isn't, it's not the case that some other animal advocacy group had a, had, a, had a real plan to make conditions for chickens any better. So how is this bill preventing anything from happening that wouldn't have happened otherwise? I, I'm, I'm, I just don't understand. I, I don't understand what the objection is. Um, I'm not really sure I understand the question. I mean, so you understand there's a provision in here that says conditions cannot be improved by any municipality. So the chickens cannot be given more room or greater enrichments or uh, you know, they, they, be cage free no. or in a cage any, sure, of any no. group. No, not by, so not by any state action. Not by any state right. action. This is right. It's just as just as 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 if there was a a nationwide uh, legislation enacted that said that schools can't be segregated any longer. Then, you know, nationwide schools can't be segregated any longer. And if there's going to be a change to that law, it's going to have to happen at the federal level. That's what federal laws do. Mm -hmm. So I so, don't. Uh, this, so this doesn't even go into effect for 18 years. So, so when will when will the attempt at a uh, an improvement be made uh, to the legislation when it hasn't even gone into effect? Right. Well, I what, mean, difference that, what difference does that make? There was nothing on the table that was going to go into effect any sooner anyway. How can that be an objection? There was nothing on the table that was going to change anything substantially anyway. Now there is. So now the objection is, well, it's not going to happen soon enough. No, wait. What, what was on the table? You had state Same. initiatives elsewhere with greater room, right? Which had the egg industry, um, you know, uh, kind of on the defensive. I mean, that's what the egg industry said. It was on right. the defensive. So, right. if, if it were required to have 216 inches of room uh, per hen, then it would not be profitable. 
So now uh, we put uh, in code, uh, you know, these uh, these cramped conditions and uh, give a, a, an animal rights uh, blessing uh, stamp of approval to them. And the conditions are horrific. So what's wrong with uh, federal regulations that are horrific for chickens? The fact that they are horrific for chickens would be one of them. Uh, the fact that HSUS... They're going to be horrific for chickens uh, in any case. I mean, isn't the position... I, yeah. Unless I'm confused. Doesn't, doesn't this legislation, as Bob's been saying, though, prevent any further legislation happening? Like, no. Is, no. Only on the state level. So there... In the United States, we have we have we have fifty. I, individual- I understand. I understand that certainly federally, federally, this this can be challenged and and this can be changed. I understand that. But with with not this very being, easy to do. With with this being something that's not going to come into effect for eighteen years, between now and eighteen years' time, what challenge is there likely to be? But that's exactly. But that's not no. That's not the point. That's not exactly. Okay, so what you're what you're suggesting is is that we could have someone could have got the egg industry to agree to somehow they could that e- one of two things would have to be true either we could get the egg industry to agree to crippling measures that would destroy their business which is which is what we would prefer right or we think that we could get enough states to enact initiatives on a state by state basis that did more for chickens than this nationwide uh, initiative does. Otherwise... Isn't that, isn't that what the state-based legislations were doing? Yes. But H... Yes. No. <laughs> HSUS is the one that was spearheading all those initiatives. HSUS is saying, first of all, just because they have an initiative doesn't mean, A, that it's going to pass, or B, once it's passed, that it's not going to be challenged in some way to gut it or to change it. I mean, you have the same problem on a state-by-state basis as you have on a federal basis. It isn't the case that just because citizens vote for an initiative that, 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 that you know, state legislatures, the governor, and so on and so forth can't make attempts to change that uh, legislation or to... Or, or to you know, as Bob said, they, they write these legislations such that now regulators have got to go in and decide how to implement them. So the problems that we have with the bill as a national bill aren't alleviated if we have statewide bills. It's just that they multiply because now we have 50 states, which we don't because there, aren't, there weren't initiatives in 50 states. There are only initiatives, as I understand it, in five or six other states. So the fact that any, any agreement that you're going to compromise with the, with the people that you're trying to get to change, it's a compromise. I mean, it's it this you know, it's a bad it's a bad what, what expression. Is, what but, is, but, but, but what is what is the compromise here? Uh, there's no compromise. This is the compromise. What's the, the compromise for for UAP? The compromise. What, how, yeah. Okay. What did the used? animals get? Hmm. What did, what did HSUS get for the animals? Well, from our perspective, the HSUS would, isn't getting anything for the animals on a state by state basis. Well, that, but um, that's not that's what the, the egg industry felt. That's the egg industry were disturbed by the state by state legislations. They were they 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 were they found them you, to be very problematic think? because they were more challenging to to them. Okay. 
All right. If 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 you all think that that HSUS was in a position to where they could get meaningful initiatives passed in 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 a number of states such that somehow they decided to give that up because I don't know they have you know they they've got some hidden agenda or they're gaining some benefit somehow by giving up what they could have gotten since they're the ones that are doing it but no they're going to give that up in order to do this instead I I just don't I. I don't know. That defies logic to me. Tim, I, I, I strongly suggest that you listen to the, uh, the poultry cast with uh, Gene Gregory, uh, CEO of uh, United Egg Producers. I mean, um, he, uh, he states that they uh, were on the defensive with all of these state initiatives. They were concerned about continuing uh, business and profitability. So uh, yeah, in the states where even in the in the states where initiatives were were being mounted that had a chance of success, that, that makes perfect right, but sense. If you're to in me. a state that requires 216 inches per bird. Uh, can you import uh, eggs from a state that's uh, that has 116 inches per bird? You know, I mean, so uh, there there were the problems, the the, the uh, free flow of eggs, and um, it. You know, it's it's the words of the United Egg Producers. You know, I'm, I, the whole story is baffling. Um, I I still, if there is a compromise, though, I really would like to know what the animals got. What 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 did HSUS negotiate for the animals? What did the egg industry give up? Well, I I don't know, but I mean, it seems to me that if the egg industry ad, ad, admits that that. It is in a position where it needs to uh, agree to nationwide standards that change um, the egg business and cost individual egg producers an enormous amount of money in in bowing to the pressure of animal advocates. That I mean, it seems it seems to me it seems to me that 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 they've given up something. It can't be the case. The egg, that, the, okay. The egg industry. The egg industry is not bowing to any demands. It was the one making the demands. It created the agenda. This is going to cost the egg industry maybe a penny and a half per dozen eggs. Uh, if, if the egg industry has to put out four or five billion dollars uh, to ensure its profitability, that's no big deal considering over the period of time that it's but, going to be making Bob, 125 to 150 billion. But you're dollars. talking you're but you're talking about an egg industry as if it's a monolith. It isn't. The egg industry is lots of individuals in individual companies with individual investments just like we saw in Great Britain where there were individual egg farmers who went out of business rather than try to meet the standards that were made. They went out of business because they said they weren't going to invest however much money because it takes too long to recoup it. You know, you, you, can, say, you can say that we're, you know, we're only talking about a penny and a half per dozen eggs, but when the, when the U.S. market for eggs is 76 billion eggs a year, that's a lot of damn money. So it's... I mean, so it costs a penny and a half or two cents per dozen... And then you can charge a premium to the people who should have gone vegan. Who instead yeah, but somebody say, has it. to put out the cash outlay up front. There are capital costs it's, that have to and, be and, met. And Gene, Gene Gregory, in his presentation, discusses that. Basically, the egg industry, you, you put out 4 or $5 billion 
over the time period where you'll be making 125 to 150 billion dollars. So right, but, again, but the it, but the it, individual but the, but the individual farmer has to put out the money. So the individual farmer has interests that may not align with what with what the fellow who runs the UEP has because the individual farmer may not have access to the capital to make the investment to change his business such that he can that he can meet these standards. Well, Gene Gregory seems to think otherwise in his presentation and talking Okay, so about so the so the position that the, so the position that you're holding is is that is that for some unknown reason, HSUS was in a position where, because I have to, I mean, we, we, I mean, you have to assume that if the if 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 the guy that runs the UEP is making these public statements about being scared of these initiatives, we have to believe that that HSUS was aware of those statements. But they're in the position to where they they have information that the UEP is on the ropes and is scared about making these changes, and they say, "Hey, we've got them in a position now where we can get state, you know, state by state initiatives. They're going to do everything we want, but ah, forget it. Let's not. Let's do this instead, even though it's weak and it and it guts the bills and it's and it, and it doesn't do anything. Let's do this instead. Is that is that what you're suggesting happened? What I'm suggesting happened was that. Uh uh, UEP on the uh, defensive side decided to send Wayne Pacelli to Europe to look at the enriched cages. Wayne Pacelli came back and said he liked the cages and he would go for them, much to the surprise of UEP. I can't make up what's in anybody's mind, what their motivations are. I'm only giving you the narrative uh, from the UEP CEO, if it doesn't make sense to you, believe me, so much of this doesn't make sense to me, because I really, I still want to know what HSUS gets out of it other than, uh, well, who knows what financial reward and uh, I don't know what victory they can, it can claim, uh, but it is, I know, Tim, it's incomprehensible, but once you listen to the UEP uh, presentation, um, I don't know if it makes more sense or less, but at least you'll you'll know uh, the behind-the-scenes account of this. Of this well, I, I, can I, can, I can listen to that or not listen to it. It doesn't answer the question, because it certainly seems to me that, that if anybody was aware of what the UEP was saying, it would have been HSUS, since they're the ones that are, that are, that are mounting the initiatives all over the country. And to think that they were unaware of, of, of the UEP being in a position where they thought that they were on the ropes and that the UEP was about to... Uh, capitulate on a state-by-state -state basis, or that, or, or HSUS was in a position to have initiatives win the day on a state-by-state -state basis all across the country, and they just gave that up for some unknown reason because Pacelli made a trip to um, Europe. That just strains the credibility. But I'll let it go because we're hey, not getting anywhere. I'm, I'm, with, I, I hey, I'm with you. I'm I, not making up this story. I'm just, I'm just reporting on it. I think we're missing the significance of the fact that the industry was already moving towards the enriched battery cages and the HSUS were being left behind. I think that that's really significant, particularly in asking what did the HSUS get out of it. Mm -hmm. Right, it gets an agreement. I don't know. I, I, it gets, uh, I, I don't know what sort of financial arrangement there would be. What do the other animal groups, uh, supposed animal rights groups, get out of it? I, I I don't really understand much of it at all, to tell you the truth. It's baffling. Well, uh, it's, you know, it seems I, it seems that if that, that if industry were already moving towards this anyway, um, HSUS jumping on board 
at least allows them to take credit for, for either either mm. initiating the deal or certainly having something playing a major part in it. So you know, allowing them to take that credit. Right. But I mean, fourth uh, thing was not <laughs> happening. Um, what, what, sorry, did I interrupt, Tim? No, I'm just no, no. That's okay. Um, you know, so, so you have fourth molting, which is not happening. You have uh, ammonia regulations that are really, you know, just uh, putting into code what, what UEP already, uh, you know, has as its standard. Um, you know, this is a, this is egg industry legislation. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. And, and UEP says that what it gets out of it is no more um, undercover video investigations of of UEP members and uh, and no more lawsuits. I, I'm still trying to figure out what the animals get and what the animal, uh, so-called animal organizations get out of this. I, it, it is incomprehensible, and I uh, I I understand uh, uh, you know <laughs> I understand how incomprehensible it might seem. To Bob, I wanted to ask you about the word cruelty. I noticed that you use the word cruelty quite a lot in your advocacy. Um, I think that to reject a practice due to its perceived cruelty is to focus on the treatment of other individuals and not the fact that they're being used. Is this something that you do intentionally as kind of like a tactical thing or do you feel that advocating for better treatment, less cruelty, is the form of advocacy that you prefer? Oh, I thought that uh, cruelty just defines business as usual. So I didn't really, uh, I didn't consider the distinction that you're making. You know, I, I uh, wouldn't, con you know, wouldn't advocate for any uh, use of animals uh, whatsoever. But uh, um, I thought that uh, cruelty is a description of, uh, you know, their treatment and their lives in general. Um, what 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 uh, what would uh, be uh, a greater uh, better distinction for you in your thinking, uh, phrasing in, it? In my opinion, um, I, I prefer to focus on the fact that other animals are commodified, objectified, and and well used in any way, as opposed to being treated in a cruel manner. I think the way I look at it is is to say that something's cruel or that there's cruelty involved means that. If that practice were to happen without there being pain and suffering, then that practice would be acceptable. Oh, I didn't see it that way. <laughs> I didn't quite interpret it that way. <laughs> That's okay. A lot of people don't. That's uh, cruelty is one of those words that I have a problem with. Mm, okay, um, I'll have to I'll have to think about that because I mean <laughs> I I didn't think that it you know endorsed the use of animals in any way. Just that it uh, provided a description of. Know what they have to endure. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, yes, I'm I'm with you on not commodifying. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm 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 into uh, you know looking at speciesism and language and not calling animals it as opposed to him or her. You know, and uh, yeah, so I, I I know what you mean on that. I'll have to think about that a little. I hadn't <laughs> considered. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, you've, Bob, you've interviewed well over 500 guests on Go Vegan Radio, covering so many aspects of the animal advocacy community. You've spoken with people who support incremental reforms, some who support direct action, some who support many different tactics and methodologies. As the host of your show, do you act as an advocate for your own views or do you try to remain as neutral as possible in order to allow your listeners the opportunity 
to form their own opinions based on what they take away from your guests? Well, I, I haven't censored anybody uh, who has been a guest on my show. Um, and a uh, few people have said complimentary things about HSUS on my program. I, I, I didn't edit them out, although I did cringe. Um, I would be uh, perfectly willing to have Bruce Friedrich on the program or uh, Gene Bauer or uh, Wayne Paselli or uh, Paul Shapiro. I've uh, invited uh, them on the show. Um, they've declined. Uh, but I, I probably do, uh, you know, I, I do want to advance uh, my agenda. Of course I do. I'm uh, putting all the energy and time into, uh, into getting it on the air. So I, I really do want there to be a clear vegan and, uh, and abolitionist message uh, to, uh, to the thoughts, you know, to the thought processes. Thanks, Bob. Um, I think it's, it's very important, as I'm sure you do, to present as much information and opportunities for education as possible. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Um, the question I'd like to ask in reference to that is that, like, we, we both agree that that's very important. Um, would that be the appropriate thing also for organisations, do you think, such as FARM, to do at conferences they host, as in, you know, present presenting different perspectives to people and allowing people the opportunity for the education and to form their own opinions based on that? Well, I've, uh, I've, I've given up on FARM and, uh, and the uh, so-called uh, Animal Rights Conference. Uh, I feel that there's a need to, uh, to create another one uh, or to create something new. Uh, I, um, I, 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 I first, I, it, it has just lost all of its credibility uh, with me uh, in, uh, in presenting HSUS as an animal rights speaker when HSUS is not an animal rights organization. And, uh, and I, I believe there's, there's too much censorship in the subject matter. Uh, Farm said that I was off topic on my condemned talk, which was engaging media, and it seemed like Farm wanted me to talk about engaging media in the way Farm would want it discussed. I, uh, I, I didn't think it would be helpful to try to tell, you know, a room full of people how each one of them could start a vegan radio program, uh, although it would be great if they did, but, uh, you know, I wanted to talk about other forms of vegan activism that could engage the media and get media attention. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really important to have, uh, you know, a broad spectrum of, of, uh, of viewpoints heard. Uh, but uh, I had a petition uh, to ban HSUS from the Animal Rights Conference because I, I didn't think it was right to, uh, uh, to have butchers represented at, as animal rights advocates. Thanks, Bob. Um, I'd like to thank you very sincerely for giving us your time today and being quite generous with your time. Before we say goodbye, though, would you like to tell us about your plans for the future? And is there anything that we haven't asked you today that you'd like to speak about to our members? Well, um, again, my, my plans for the future, uh, Really, uh, my, my, my mission in life is, uh, is really to, uh, to promote veganism um, in, 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 in the most and, and best ways that I can. Um, I, I would like to see uh, people moving 
toward vegan animal liberation activism and away from the absurdity of uh, you know, supporting these groups that, that are aligned with uh, animal exploitation industries. So I would like to see work being done, you know, uh, for, you know a campaign to, to ban meat. I'd like to see uh, campaigns where we take out megaphones in front of McDonald's and, and, and schoolyards and uh, campaigns to go around the neighborhoods and, and put vegan uh, vegan um, information on, on people's doorknobs. I'd like to create Soul Food for Thought as a traveling show, um, vegan you know, animal film festivals. I mean, I just... Uh, um, that's that's where I am in, in terms of trying to create entertaining um, vegan outreach. Uh, I think that's that's so important. And so uh, that's what I see in the future. Uh, I uh, you know if I were able to uh, raise more money through advertising and donations, I could be on many more radio stations um, who do want to run the program. And I, it's uh, it's really interesting that mainstream radio, clear channel stations, CBS radio stations. Are, are willing to run a, a, a vegan radio show, something so uh, radical that does, um, you know, uh, contradict most of the advertising and program that, programs that they that they run. So, um, you know, for me, it's about reaching as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Uh, it's urgent for the animals. It's urgent for the environment. Uh, we're facing uh, catastrophic climate change. And the only way to address it is a mass movement uh, toward, toward veganism. Uh, we have a drought. We have resource depletion. Uh, you know, all, all of our problems, all, you know, all of our health problems, uh, all of our problems relate to uh, the production and consumption of animal products, animal agriculture, um, flesh, uh, uh, eggs, fish. And so I, uh, I just would like... Uh, to, to hope to inspire as many people as possible to go vegan by presenting the uh, very credible information and the uh, you know the the emotion behind it, uh, and for people to be active on behalf of animals. Thanks, Bob. I agree with you, and I agree with you on the urgency of it as well. I wish you the best of luck with that. Would you like to let our listeners know how they're able to help, particularly financially? Yes. Uh, the website is goveganradio.com. There's a donate button there, and uh, uh, click on that. It's a tax-deductible donation. Uh, so that's at goveganradio.com. Uh, you can also uh, make checks payable to Go Vegan Radio, P.O. Box 475-414, San Francisco, California, 94147. You can advertise your vegan and cruelty-free products and services. Uh, email me. It's bob at goveganradio.com. And uh, if you don't trust me with your money, uh, I can make arrangements so that you pay the radio stations directly for the airtime. That's really all I care about. Thanks, Bob. I'd like to thank you again for your visit to AR Zone today and for all that you're trying to accomplish for other animals. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carolyn and Tim and Ronnie. I really appreciate your time today. Too. Thanks, Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Thank you for listening to AR Zone. Please visit us online at www.arzone.net and look for us on iTunes.